This is the Sport and Style Podcast, where the trade of sport collides with fashion and innovation. Your host, Mike Gugat, Neil Schwartz, and John Peters, break down the news, analyze sales data, and interview industry influencers. The Sport and Style Podcast is on now. This is episode four of the Sport and Style podcast. We're coming to you from all over the place. I'm your host, Mike Gugat. Morning, Googs. How are you today? I am well, Grandpa. Where are you today? Well, I'm back home in beautiful Boca Raton, Florida, where it has finally stopped raining. Um, it's uh, It's been a deluge down here for the last few days, and uh, hopefully uh, we can get uh, you know a few days of sunshine in so I can get a few rounds of golf in. boy. Neil, that's how you're going to follow up last week's brisk opening. That really, yeah, that, that, that's, that, that's very mild to, of you. Yeah, I, I decided uh, to go a little bit more family. I had to, uh, got so many funny texts and comments and uh, led me to a pretty, what was awkward conversation with my Korean mother explaining what a brisk was. So thank you for that, Neil. I appreciate that. It's it's a brisk, by the way, B-R-I-S, just uh, no, no K at the end. And, uh, you know, I'm glad to help. I'm glad that we're able to... Uh, you know, be able to share our various cultures. We, we are a worldly and global podcast. Uh, hey guys, today on the show, uh, we're going to talk about all birds. We're going to talk about Cole's earnings and we're going to pepper the poobah with questions about what is trending and what is not. You guys ready to go? I am. Mm-hmm. Hey, so let's talk about two of Neil's favorite subjects, footwear and food. Tell us about Allbirds. Well, Mike, this really caught my eye, and it caught my eye for probably a different reason than a lot of other people might have looked at this. Um, you know, there's this up-and-coming footwear brand called Allbirds, and, and, and while they're a smaller brand, I mean, they've only sold about 2 million pairs of shoes in the last two years. I think in a lot of ways, they are creating this new template for brands and how they might want to look at operating in the future. So what I'm talking about specifically is Allbirds announced a collaboration with Shake Shack. And, you know, normally people wouldn't necessarily put sneakers together with a hamburger uh, restaurant, uh, fast casual. Uh, I will tell you, I'm, I'm a fan of Shake Shack. I do love their hamburgers. Love their fries, so I, I, I understand you know why they would look towards a brand like Shake Shack, but I think we have to be real careful. Number one is that Allbirds, as I said, has only sold about two million pairs in the last two years. Um, you know, Nike only, last year pro- only is still pretty good for well. For a new when you look at for the fact, well, look at Nike who sold over four hundred million pairs worldwide, Mike. I mean, so. You know, if I think if you start to compare, you know, you if, start you read, to, if you read Shoe Dog, it, it took a while to get to that first million. Well, I, I understand that, and but you know, it's really hard though when you know you've got a, a sort of incumbency situation like we have between, let's say, excuse me, Adidas and Nike and Brand Jordan, and then a couple of these other brands like Skechers have really kind of dug in. But what really caught my eye was this idea of collaboration. And 
you know, the brick and mortar part of our industry has really, you know, suffered in a lot of ways. And, and we're going to talk about some of this later um, in the show. But I think this collaboration idea really opens up, I think, a lot of good possibilities. I mean, you know, are we too far away from Nike or Adidas doing a collaboration with, let's say, McDonald's, you know, and then somebody going to Burger King and Wendy's and, you know, are we too far away from a Starbucks, you know, shoe collaboration? Um, I, I think not. I think these are really going to be some great opportunities. And I think for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think it gets everybody out of their comfort zone. And there's nothing wrong with that. I sit in a lot of meetings. I hear people talking about, you know, using these marketing buzzwords like out-of-the-box thinking and uh, new opportunities, uh, new verticals. You know, you hear a lot of that. Well, this really is some out-of-the-box thinking, and I applaud them uh, for really doing this. But I also think this is going to play well for some of the larger manufacturers because one of the big trends right now is this whole idea, uh, Mike and John, about fast factories. And the idea is that both Nike and Adidas <coughs> excuse me, are developing these fast factories where they're able to be able to produce and then get these shoes to market much faster than the typical, let's say, nine-month production schedule. You know, they're generally nine months, they're talking like 30 days to 45 days. So you're really looking at, you know, one, we're, we're developing these new collaborations. Two, we're feeding our new production kind of initiative. And number three, it creates some new excitement. So I think from a lot of reasons, yeah, you know, all birds is kind of small. Let's not get too kind of crazy with that. But I think they're thinking and the way they're looking at this business is something that people really need to take notice of. Oh man, there's, there's <laughs> how many hey, times, hey John? Real quick, in the the, the whole, uh, you know, Neil mentioned the marketing speak. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, there, there's a lot to unpack and and a lot to rewind to correct this guy. So you got me on the brisk, and okay, and I'll have to inform my mother. But I, I'm going to have to set you straight on this one. So just to your point about the oh, this is only two million shoes in two years. First of all, that's a pretty strong number. Uh, what I would say to that is uh, the average selling price of every single one of those shoes is ninety five dollars. Uh, much much higher than any of those brands you named. Uh, secondly, you know you can't get all birds on Amazon or anywhere else. They 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 have a, a great way of marketing directly to their millennial base. And as you guys know, we've we've talked about this brand before and uh, how I you know have two pairs of them. And you know what what all birds is uh, to me is what maybe Vans is is to to pop a bear over there. How's but, that sponsorship uh, Neil, I would coming say, along? John, did you we, pay, yeah, pay I, I did say shoes? last time. If John, we, did you pay for those shoes? You get them for free. Uh, I am not quite as cool as you. I don't know as many people, so I definitely paid, which says a lot because I'm I'm pretty cheap as far as uh, accessories go. But but Neil, in all seriousness, I, I gotta uh, rein you in here on on some of the the things. First of all, Wendy's and McDonald's collaborations with other brands just not going to happen. And uh, the 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 reason I think this collaboration was so genius is. Twofold. One, Allbirds knows uh, Shake Shack is very popular with millennials, and uh, that was a natural fit. But the other part of that is 
it matched their values. And what I mean by that is uh, they, they had a great explanation on their Instagram of why they did the partnership. Uh, Allbirds has a very uh, eco-friendly mission uh, with, with sheep. They're made from sheep wool. Uh, the founder actually believes that the, every animal uh, should serve a, a higher purpose and, and be treated well and, and, and be made. They're actually doing uh, tree birds next. But the reason, you know, you're not going to have frozen beef burgers pairing up with a pair of New Balance and them claiming some value share on that. They, they, the, the Shake Shack brand is very uh, adamant about fresh beef, quality, et cetera. And, and that goes exactly in line with fresh ingredients of, of all birds' shoes. And so I think that natural pairing of values, we talk about selling to millennials and, and authenticity is everyone's favorite A word these days. I think that this hit the nail on the head on so many different levels. And then in addition to, they're only doing one Shake Shack in New York. There are people saying, oh, where do I get them? How do I get them? Blah, blah, blah. And as we know, that FOMO, that fear continues to drive sales. Now, I'm not wearing any burgers on my can, feet can, anytime can, soon. Can, I think can we all agree, though, the sheep got the better end of the bargain than the cattle? Well, I, I, take, a little bit of, <laughs> I take a little bit of exception, John. Um, during the last uh, Boston Marathon, Sockety, who clearly is a performance-oriented brand, um, they did a collaboration with Dunkin' Donuts, and uh, you know clearly, performance running shoes and Dunkin' Donuts, you know, might not exactly kind of fit together, but they made it work. So you know, I, I think there are opportunities to make things work. So, but I understand what you're saying, John. Gugat, you're the former Adidas and Mizuno run guy, big brands. Uh, what do you think of what do you think of this? I, so I think it's really an interesting uh, uh, proposition. I think that the the collaboration, and I think Neil, as you and I have talked about this before, is and John, you just alluded to it. If millennials are going to Shake Shack, you know, this is an opportunity to have the association of the brands, and and in our in. The current point in time where we, we have so many different distractions, digital distractions, it's an opportunity to uh, stay top of mind. And, and again, I keep coming back to, you know, is it a way to potentially uh, compel a purchase? And, and I do think like the Boston collaboration is, is unique to Boston. The Boston Marathon is sort of the Super Bowl for running. Uh, Saucony is a Boston brand. As is, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, and and we know, you know, how uh, uh, loyal those uh, those New Englanders are to uh, to their teams, their donuts, and uh, and even the, the the marathon itself. I don't know how much uh, that that was realized in sales, um, but you know, the other one, then again, it's it's consistent with what you talked about, Neil, and and myself being blind, I, I, I purchased a lot of frames from Warby Parker. Um, and Warby Parker just opened up a new location here in Washington and they, you know, did a collaboration with, uh, with, uh, Shake Shack. And, and I think it, it is, uh, uh, going to be interesting moving forward. And I don't believe that, uh, you know, Starbucks, McDonald's and, and, you know, some of those, uh, kind of tired, um, uh, fast food chains, uh, that this may be the thing that, uh, you know, gives them the the authenticity they, they so desperately need. But but when it does come to uh, you know these collaborations, I think that uh, they're they're critical. One other thing I want to come back to because this was an article the three of us talked about some time ago was uh, even though Allbirds is direct to consumer, they're doing a lot of their advertising through Instagram and uh, and and Facebook. Uh, they have done some activations with uh, known retailers like Nordstroms. 
Um, John, do you remember that? Could you talk a little bit about that that partnership or what they did? Yeah, I think that they did a, a great job um, really promoting that on Instagram. I think they have about 100,000 followers now, Allbirds. But I thought it, what was interesting about that is is you have a, a retailer in Nordstrom. I don't know if you guys have ever purchased uh, a comfort or athletic shoe ever from Nordstrom. I'd, I'd, I'd guess no. But uh, – you know, nor a, a historic traditional legacy brand like Nordstrom pairing up with the millennial brand. Again, I think it's it's a beautiful partnership because it provides Nordstrom with a, a core customer, a core following, and I believe they did some some form of limited edition uh, shoes that they were offering at those specific Nordstroms. And it also at the, at the end of the day drove foot traffic from a, a demographic that Nordstrom is struggling to get, in, which we'll talk about with with department stores and others how they're they're losing on the millennials and some of them are, are winning. So I thought it was great. Um, I found out just from their Instagram that that's the only reason. And I think that is kind of the, the way of the future with a lot of these legacy brands in our industry are missing Mark, out. On. John, just, just one thing though, I think, and I want to add, and also, also to Mike is that, you know, I think, you know, when I said that, you know, brands would collaborate with Wendy's or McDonald's, I, I really wasn't trying to say that, you know, all of a sudden they're going to, you know, the Big Mac and a pair of sneakers are somehow going to get associated. You know, Ron, <laughs> Ronald, uh, McDonald's is very much involved in um, Ronald McDonald House and children's charities and, and working with children's hospitals around the country. So, you know, they could easily tie, let's say, a children's shoe or something of that nature into that. You know, I think we've all over the years seen a number of brands utilize cause marketing rather effectively. And I just think this might be the next evolution um, for some brands and might be the next evolution for some really innovative, creative thinking marketing people. You know, I'm glad I'm glad you brought it up. And I, I do think that, you know, most people don't realize the the charitable side of, of you know, McDonald's and the Ronald McDonald house. And, and there was another article a week or so ago where uh, Brooks is actually collaborating with Special Olympics. And that's something that's near and dear to my heart as I have an uncle uh, with Down syndrome and, and volunteered for Special Olympics for for many, many years. Um, that 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 sort of cause collaboration is meaningful. Um, I, I just it would be interesting, um, you know, in this day and age now where we're kind of in these anti-bullying campaigns and we have an activity crisis amongst the youth and things like that. That you know where there could be marriages made out of those uh, or partnerships, if you will, with companies that you wouldn't have otherwise thought of. I just I can't get over the fact that you're having a discussion about activity playing golf. I just I love it. Golf an activity, classic meal. No, not not. (laughs) Don't belong in the same sentence. Wait, wait. So we we could do this sport no sport uh, challenge right now. I mean, you know, golf sport or no sport, boys. (laughs) I think it's I I think it's a sport if you're walking. Yeah, well, talk to uh, some of these. Let me ask you, Deal Gamer, sport or it? not sport? Gamer, no e-sport sport. Gamer. Oh come on, you can still activity. have a repetitive stress activity. injury. It's the same activity. Yes, sport. No.
They sweat way much, way more than golfers. Yeah. I still think that, uh, you know, John, you try to play four 18 holes rounds of golf, you know, at that level in four consecutive days. And I think you might feel a little bit differently. I can't afford it. I can't afford to play golf. I, you know, buy me some clubs and, no, I, and I'll, I'll come down. I'll, bar, I'll let you borrow my extra set and you can come down and play. How's that? All right. All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's move on to Cole's earnings. Yeah, Mike. So this story caught my eye earlier this week. Uh, a lot of retail earnings out there, uh, and and everyone's favorite excuse seemed to be the unseasonably uh, cold spring or late start to spring. And it was interesting that Coles uh, totally did not. They passed over that excuse, and probably because their numbers were were pretty damn good. Uh, their overall sales for the quarter rose almost four percent. I think it was a little bit uh, over four point two billion uh, for the same quarter for the prior year. Earnings came in higher than than expected. And uh, the same store comps were up, I think, three or 4%. So much, much higher than expected as well. And just a couple of things that I think are working well with Kohl's. You know, we chatted a couple episodes about the uh, retailer's partnership with Amazon and and not only selling devices, but being able to return in the store. And so we don't need initially to talk about that, although that was cited as as driving, helping drive foot traffic, especially from a younger demographic. Uh, a a couple of other things that caught my eye uh, and, and related to the trends, which we'll get into. It seemed like, according to the CEO there, Michelle Gass, um, it seemed like they were proactive in handling the uh, late start to spring and proactive in, in such with the categories that were uh, around active footwear, apparel, what they call wear now and key item basics. And they they actually uh, attested the, the larger millennial Traffic, foot traffic being from activewear, uh, athleisure, as everyone calls it. So, you know, she even called out specifically Nike, Under Armour, um, uh, Under Armour Golf, Adidas, uh, added to the uh, categories outperformance during the first quarter. So that was interesting. But, but I think also uh, what what I'd like to note is it seems like uh, uh, our you know Steve Case, the 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 guy who founded uh, AOL, he he wrote a book called The Third Wave, and he talked he he basically identified these types of partnerships that are driving every conversation we're having today, whether it's all birds or coals. And another partnership that they they touched on was they are going to continue to cater to millennials with uh, partnering with a, uh, a company called Pop Sugar, which is a, a, a privately held media and tech company. Uh, and they're going to do a collaboration, a clothing collection aimed at millennial women. And so they'll do dresses and skirts, tops, bottoms, uh, all priced between 20 and 80 bucks. And, you know, they already have Lauren Conrad in there and, and some other millennial brands that I mentioned. But this is only going to continue to drive more and more millennials as, as the analysts are saying. I totally agree with it. And, Doing partnerships, continuing on that note, with companies like Aldi, they're they're taking unused retail space to to actually add groceries, which I thought was um, really really interesting. So I think they're doing all the right things. Um, Neil, this goes in line with some of that department store data, which we'll we'll touch on. But uh, what did you think well, of Kohl's? First of all, I thought they are doing a wonderful job right now. I think that Kohl's is really understanding. I think one. What do they need to do in order to grow their business? You know, what part of the market aren't they serving, and then how can they serve that? There's no question, though, that that mid-tier or that department store chain really starts with traffic. And you know, from all I've heard and from all I've read, Kohl's is able to has been able to drive additional traffic. 
John, you mentioned the Amazon experiment, and it's only in a few stores. But I know that um, I know that Michelle Gass in her in a recent interview said that they are going to be expanding that relationship. And uh, in every one of the stores where they did that uh, particular uh, collaboration, they were able to one grow traffic, two they were able to grow the amount of time that people stayed in the store. But the most important statistic. And I'm not sure I'm going to get this 100% right, but I think they wrote that 45% of the people that came in there to return something to Amazon had never shopped in Kohl's before. I mean, that to me is is a wow statistic and a wow number. So, you know, I really think that Kohl's, um, you know, one, they operate in price points that I think the consumers are really looking for right now. Number two is that they've got a wonderful merchandising blend of the brands people want, but also their own private label brands. And just like you said, John, brands that people will stand up and take notice about, you know, utilizing younger, more millennium oriented endorsers, celebrities, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, and I think they are right now, you know, they're, they are dealing a winning set of hand and winning set of cards. And, uh, you know, good for them. Seems like they could have. <clears throat> excuse me. It seems like they could have a nice run, like Target did. You know, with with some of the the labels that they brought in, and I, you know, I remember there was a whole period where it. Uh, you know, people were surprised when somebody was wearing something that you know had come from Target. And uh, I guess my question to you guys is: Do you think Kohl's will actually do something similar uh, to what Walmart has done in, in Walmart's acquisition of a brand like Bonobos? You know, I am not sure that Kohl's will necessarily pursue any of the same strategies as a Walmart or Target. Um, You know, I think they're kind of looking to kind of blaze their own trail um, and really try to understand more, I I think, how to to serve this younger millennium customer. And then, you know, probably roll that over into serving the Gen Z at some point. I do think the one danger or the one thing that I think is, you know, danger, Will Robinson, is, you know, Kohl's has relied heavily on, you know, couponing, discounting, um, you know, various sorts of promotional activities in order to drive business. And while they have reduced that reliance a little bit um, so far in 2018 versus what they did in 2017, it's still there. Let's, uh, let's start peppering the poobah. <clears throat> you bet, Mike. Thanks a lot for, uh, for coming over. Um, as many of you know, I am uh, Vice President of Market Insights um, for Sports One Source. And of course, we are the folks that put out what they call SSI data, or as some people know it as SportsScan, which is our kind of older name. And what, what I do is that, and what our company does, is that we collect weekly point of sales data from about 14,000 retail doors. And then when that data comes in, we aggregate it together, and then we publish it back. And, and we're really a, a source that both manufacturers, retailers, um, and really anyone that wants to understand what's going on in the various athletic, active sports spaces. People ask me, you know, how do I know what you guys do? I said, well, my my best explanation, I said, if you walked into a Dick Sporting Goods or any big box sporting goods store and basically did a 360 degree turn, 
all of those categories that you see, everything from sneakers to coolers to fitness gear to sports medicine, we are currently collecting weekly data. So it's a wonderful way to understand the trends, a wonderful way to understand, you know, how both retailers and manufacturers, you know, can really get on the same page, Mike and John. And that's really a big part of what it is that I do. Um, you know, Mike likes to call me the king of statistics. I, I am not a scientist. Uh, I am pretty good at math, but I am not a scientist. But what I am is someone that understands this data and then understands how to tell a story from it. Because really, you know, as somebody that's been in marketing for a long time, it's really all about being able to tell a story. And, and that's what I like Neil, to that's why I'm you and I have do. always had a great partnership is your ability to take the, you know, what has been quantified and qualify it and, and tell that story. And because we're in the uh, height of, uh, you know, the NBA playoffs, uh, Let's, uh, let's dig into some of the categories and, and what's happening. Uh, what's happening in, in basketball, you know, as far as the performance product? Yeah, the basketball category has really been very interesting over the last really few years. You know, I, I can't go on, though, and, and without laying down this one number, is that between Nike and Jordan, they control over 92% of basketball uh, market share of basketball sales. So that's really a unique situation where one brand is just so dominant. But I think the real issue has become, you know, what's going on from within the basketball category. Um, and you have to really separate it into three kind of pods or three levels. Number one, you've got, of course, the high-end, fashion-oriented, retro, Jordan retro um, type of shoes. And, and you know what? The Jordan brand, um, you know, kind of struggled at the beginning of the year, but it was self-imposed, John and, and Mike. They decided, you know what? We're going to start to control demand by controlling supply or create demand by controlling supply. And you can create demand a number of ways, but one way is to control supply. So in a lot of ways, they choked off um, exactly, you know, what people said they were doing wrong, which was to, you know, flood the market, put a lot of new styles out there. So in the last few weeks, though, we have really started to see um, that fashion Jordan basketball really start to perform a little better as Jordan has gotten kind of back into a more regular release schedule with retros. On the other side, though, when we look at performance-oriented basketball, or even value-oriented basketball, that's really been a different story. And while that's a much smaller aspect of the category, um, it, it's really been, uh, you know, a struggle. Um, you know, there's been a couple of shoes um, from LeBron, the LeBron 15 from Nike, the new Kyrie shoes. Um, some of the new KDs are doing okay. Um, the latest Curry 4 release from Under Armour, not so much. Basketball really has has had a tough time because basketball shoes – I used to say that 70% of all shoes, um, basketball shoes, will never see a basketball court. That might be more like 80% at this point. And basketball is just not the, the style or the profile or, or silhouette for using an, uh, an industry word, of shoes that people are buying right now um, to really kind of suit their kind of fashion and casual needs, uh, Mike and John. Hey, Neil, 
just curious on the overall, because uh, I think what I'm hearing you say and, and some of the things that I've seen in the past couple of years, I'm really curious, wh- how much of that do you attest? Like, you know, basketball numbers are clearly down, basketball shoes, that is. H- how much do you attest to that kind of the, the overall macro trend of the shift between performance to casual and um, and comfort even to that, I, I to that point? I think it's a big part of it, John. I think the, the bigger part of it is the shift away from – uh, let's say performance more to fashion though is really a bigger part of it. Um, you know, you know, right now we're in this kind of jeans oriented cycle and, uh, you know, running silhouettes just seem to look better, you know, with jeans than, uh, basketball shoes. You know, now that being said, you know, if you look at a style, for instance, like the air force ones, from Nike and, and and clearly one of the most valuable franchises probably in the history of Nike. Um, you know, these are basically kind of chunky basketball silhouettes um, that are still very popular um, among, um, you know, let's say more of an urban uh, demographic or even more, you know, basketball oriented consumers. So, you know, there, there, there is something for everybody you know, the problem is I think that the everybody number is just shrinking because basketball just does not have, you know, the same popularity in terms of performance. Um, John, you know, I think a little bit more about the media. What what are basketball ratings like? I mean, is basketball doing well, um, you know, on TV, even during the playoffs right now? Yeah, that's that's the thing. Um, basketball, you know, the all the ratings for the Western Conference, at least finals, uh, is at all time high. I just read something about that, and uh, same for Eastern Conference. Anytime you have LeBron, so it, it, it's just interesting to see um, the ratings not necessarily uh, match up with with a lot of the sales, and and I wonder um, at what point does is that impacted by you know some of the secondary market i yeah. we've talked about stock x and and legends i believe it's called or stadium goods sorry um I, you know i don't know does that have any impact at all probably not well, I would i've guess. had these what, what discussions with josh luber from stock x a number of times and you know josh of course maintains that the secondary markets really are the leading edge indicator for the primary markets um you know and in some ways i might agree with josh on that um, in other ways, I don't. Um, you know, it, it's a tough call right now, John, because, you know, I, I think as I mentioned a few minutes ago, Nike released this new LeBron 15. And what Nike has done is they have literally brought all of their technological uh, experience and really all the things that has made, you know, Nike, you know, really popular. I mean, they've brought, you know, they've got the the LeBron shoe is an all-knit upper which I don't think I've ever seen a 100% all-knit upper on a basketball shoe. Um, they've got – it's a three-quarter cut, so it's kind of in that area between high cut and low cut. Um, and they've put the Vapor Max bottom, which is a new technology bottom on the shoe. So really what they've been able to do is to bring technology together and some great styling now, do I think all of a sudden that one shoe like that is going to revitalize the category? Hey, the answer is no. Go ahead. 
but I do think, but I do think it presents some nice, exciting opportunities. Um, Neil, I want to ask you a quick question about casual athletic, and then get into a little bit about you know what's doing well, you know, by channel of distribution, and then we'll close out on on brands. But uh, you know, when you, it looks like things are are you know casual athletic footwear, you know, continues to to perform well. What are some examples of models that are performing well that you would classify as casual athletic? Well, the one I did mention earlier, of course, was the uh, Air Force One from Nike, Um, clearly a casual athletic style. But, you know, what we're also seeing, guys, is the resurgence of, you know, the Vans brand. I I mean, Vans is up almost 46% year to date. Um, You know, that's a big number. And granted, it's a smaller base, but it's still a very, very impressive number. Um, you know, we're also seeing, again, I'm kind of jumping in to a little bit of the brand discussion, but, you know, we're seeing also brands like Skechers also being able to do, you know, a great job in terms of sales, you know, and a big part of this, guys, as we said, has to do with what's going on at the various channels of retail. You know, we are seeing people really migrate more um, you know, towards the value channels. You know, we talked a little bit about Kohl's in what we call the mid-tier department store channel. Um, what we didn't talk about um, is family footwear. And I think that the kind of the what's going on in family footwear, you know, in a lot of ways is driving um, a great deal of what we're seeing in this active and casual footwear space, Mike. So, you know, it will be interesting to understand I think over the next year is, you know, will there be a greater reliance, um, you know, on that business? I mean, you know, as an example, the big box and mall specialty guys still account, you know, for the vast majority of casual athletic, athletic footwear. And it's almost, you know, maybe four to one in terms of the largest other category. But, you know, we are seeing, again, this move to the value And I'm not going to use the term move to the middle because it's not a move to the middle. It's just a move to value. And I think that, you know, right now, those brands that can operate in that value range, I think, are the ones that will continue to be successful and will drive a lot of what's going on. But – but the only other thing I want to add, Mike, is that there are there are really two things now driving a lot of business. One is comfort. Two is convenience. And, and the last thing, um, you know, really, I, I think, is value. So it's like a CCV gotcha. well, process. So if we, if we look at brands right now, and, and my take on this is, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Adidas, Skechers, and New Balance that we don't often talk about are all taking share. Will Nike, Jordan, Nike, Jordan and Under Armour continue to slip? Is that a fair statement? Well, I think when you say slip, when you talk about Nike, you have to be real careful because you're talking about a brand that has just incredible market share numbers. I mean, if you looked at, you know, if you look at the combined numbers between, uh, let's say, Nike and Jordan, you know, you're looking at over 45% market share of all athletic and uh, athletic shoes sold. So, I mean, you're talking about, you know, a big number. But, um, you know, Mike, I think, you know, you're, you bring up a great point. You know, number one is that Adidas is, you know, has been taking some share and chipping away. Um, You know, in 2017, Adidas had a great year. Um, We did start to see them slow a little bit as um, some of their new strategies take hold. Um, They've gotten more into segmentation at the uh, mid-tier and family channel. 
and have relied a little bit less on their marquee um, boost product. Um, in some ways, that hurt them for the last six months. But now they seem to be kind of turning things around a little bit. You know, you talked a little bit about New Balance, and and New Balance has just been a really interesting story. Um, they have really, in a lot of ways, found their footing, Mike. But they have found their footing more in this casual athletic, or I dare say, guys, this athleisure world. Um, you know, they've expanded their their kind of classic shoes. You know, they have that dad shoe, the nine ninety. Um, you know, they've come out with the uh, seven. I, I forget all the numbers sometimes, but they've come out with all these different shoes that are really designed to take advantage um, of one the um, athletic silhouette but with a fashion spin to it. So, hey, we have a lot of fun on this podcast uh, between the three of us, but if you'd like to chime in or if you'd like to ask a question to any of our guests, um, if you tweet us at, at sport underscore style pod, we'll be happy to get your question or comment to any of the guests that you hear on the show. Again, our Twitter feed is at, at sport underscore style pod. thank our listeners, our sound engineer, Tyrone Littman. This podcast would not be possible if not for our partnership with the Washington, D.C. office of cable TV, film, music, and entertainment, our mayor, Muriel Bowser, and our friends at 202 Create. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Until next time. What is it? I can't remember our tagline.